Welcome to the Temple Forum, a podcast from First United Methodist Church in the heart of Chicago. Here we welcome a diversity of voices and conversation about how we live in the world as people of faith. Hello, I'm Jan Engmeyer. Usually we don't think of faith or religion of having any role in a public school system. So it might surprise you to learn that there is a faith-based initiative in the Chicago public schools. This installment of the Temple Forum podcast features a conversation with Alan Conley, who is the director of faith-based initiatives for CPS, and he is here to tell us more. Welcome to the Temple Forum, Alan. Thank you. Glad to be here, Jeff. Well, tell us about your role with the Chicago Public Schools. What does the Director of Faith-Based Initiatives do in a public school system? I'm glad you asked, Jan, and that is a question that I am asked uh, quite often, uh, as you can imagine. Um, I did not know that there was such an office even prior to me joining uh, the school district, Um, but my office does exist uh, primarily to help close those gaps that often exist between the faith community and our school system. And the reason being is because um, there's a myriad of faiths represented in the city. And with the city being so diverse, with our school district being diverse, uh, we have so many faith distinctions that are represented. And it just makes sense. If you're looking to support uh, the whole child, which means their, their family, the academic experience, then we have to be able to support them uh, by ways that uh, sometimes may seem um, unorthodox. It may seem uh, somewhat out of the box, Um, but to support them via faith-based initiatives, it's not necessarily out of the box because uh, the faith community has played an intricate role in sustaining our communities down through the years. And so when you're talking about uh, helping a family uh, get through and navigate whether it's the whatever the vicissitudes of, uh, may be. Um, when you look at the violence in our city, we look at the virus during the pandemic. Uh, we look at the the lack of access to the vaccine. So those three V's, um, the faith community, faith community played a, an intricate role. Uh, one in getting the information out regarding uh, the the virus getting access to the vaccine, uh, but then also uh, just making sure that the families uh, were, were educated uh, as it related to the virus and the vaccine. And then when we have the violence taking place, uh, my office, uh, which is the Office of Faith-Based Initiatives for Chicago Public Schools, uh, th- one of those initiatives is called Safe Haven. And that's where the faith community can respond to an RFQ. Uh, If they respond successfully, they are awarded a contract uh, for up to two years, which allows them to open up their space and provide a space of safety for these young people uh, when they get out of school. And uh, in that program, they're able to um, implement an SEL curricula, uh, which promotes uh, peace, it promotes um, just helping them to become good uh, stewards uh, in, in their communities. Uh, but the whole purpose of it, Jan, is to just keep these young people safe at a time when violence is uh, at its, when it's peaking. And so it doesn't matter what faith, 
Um, but if there's a faith community that has the facility, they have the capacity to open up their doors, um, we want those young people to be able to have access to those spaces. So it sounds like you're offering programs and support for not only the children who are enrolled in the public school system, but also for their families. For the family. So um, that safe haven program is for those students. However, um, my department falls under a broader umbrella called family and community engagement. So within family and community engagement, uh, we're looking at working directly with those parents. So most majority of our schools are in Chicago public school system are Title I schools, which means that we have Title I dollars to assist those families uh, that are low income. And those dollars are to be spent to make a direct impact in that child's education. So though my office is the office of faith-based, we do work closely uh, with our parent universities, which are part of the, or under the family and community engagement umbrella. And uh, we do uh, encourage uh, those faith communities that are safe haven sites. We encourage them to, from time to time, do a parent-child conference or workshop or just a gathering to bring the family together uh, and where they can potentially even learn together. Um, but it's always a good thing when you can bring the entire family together uh, so that they can know that their their love um, beyond the classroom. Well, I'm sure that helps working parents a lot. Um, and for the safe haven program now, is there some kind of a particular curriculum that um, the churches have to adhere to or is it open mm -hmm. for whatever program they want to present? Well, so we, we know that in the faith community, uh, you, you, depending on what faith you subscribe to, uh, many are eager uh, to do or engage in maybe what we may call Bible study or Quran study or something like that. Uh, and so because there is still a separation between church and state, um, whatever curricula is uh, implemented, it has to be secular within its tenets. So uh, there is a board directed uh, curriculum that is, if it's board directed, uh, we know that it's, it's approved and it can be implemented. So it's really your, some of your standard SEL curricula. We work with uh, Harmony. Um, there's a group now that, um, uh, you know, I'm hoping uh, that, you know, in the past we've worked with before, but Bulldog Solutions, which is an anti-bullying curriculum, uh, we, we don't use that one as much because uh, we felt like when you say anti-bullying curriculum, what it really does is it ends up uh, highlighting uh, bullying, and that's not what we want to do. And but we want to highlight good character. What does good character look like? And if you have good character, then hopefully uh, you will be combating uh, bullying that sometimes takes place. But uh, and as you know, Jan, in the, in the religious circles, uh, sometimes there's religious bullying that takes place. And so our office, uh, we, we try to stay away from those uh, or encouraging the faith communities uh, to not try to impose doctrine or their faith. Because when you open up your doors, though you may be a synagogue, a Jewish synagogue, you may receive Islamic children into your space. You may receive some Christian students into your space. And likewise, with the, uh, with the mosque or a Protestant church. 
you you don't know. Uh, and so we don't want to uh, run, turn anyone away because of uh, tr we're trying to impose or proselytize. We want to welcome people in to show that we are all in this together, uh, regardless of your faith, regardless of your background. Uh, and so uh, that's what we aim to do uh, via the Safe Haven program. That's great. Thank you. So why is the overall faith-based initiative important? And, and do you have stories that you can share with us so, um, about how it's made a difference in someone's life? Yes. Uh, so, you know, we work with, um, when we put the RFQ out, it goes out. The RFQ the, is the? Request for qualifications. Okay, uh, thank you. So the request for, for qualifications, which we get an idea of the community that they serve, uh, what they've done down through the years, you get to learn a little bit more about that faith community. And I tell you, the ones who respond the most uh, are usually on your west side of Chicago and the far south side. So where violence uh, is taking place the most. So on the west side in the Austin community, uh, there's uh, a couple of organizations, but there's one in particular who uh, I think is worth uh, denoting and uh, in, in speaking to, and that's River City. Uh, River City, uh, CDC, uh, which is a part of a church, but their CDC runs the Safe Haven program. They're located in uh, a block away from what was deemed the most violent area in the city of Chicago. Well, this safe haven uh, site where these young people go, all of those young people who were uh, going to their site had been kept safe from violence with this program being one, one just one block away. Well, we don't look at this program as being an anti-violence program because uh, we, we don't necessarily, we, we don't want to put that out there that we, uh, we stop the violence. That's not what this program does, but perhaps it is an interrupter. Uh, they get in between uh, the, the problem and, uh, and the promise is how I like to say it. So they're working in between as intercessors uh, to go in between. Well, they told the story once about the, uh, a young man. A young man was uh, shot and killed in the community. Well, he happened to be uh, a relative of one of the, the young students who was a part of the program. And that young student was afraid to go back home in the, because many of them don't live uh, like, like on the same block as the site. They have to commute or they you know, walk a few blocks or so. So in order to keep this young man safe, what they did was they would open up earlier and sometimes they open later to ensure that that young man was safe. At the end of the school year, when the program came to an end, they sent, they wrote this beautiful letter to us, to CPS, just thanking us for allowing them. Now, I'm like, I don't know why you're thanking us. You, you became a safe haven site because of the work that you did. You responded successfully. Uh, so we ought to be thanking you. But they thanked us for this opportunity. They were like, it may not seem like much to you all because, Jan, they don't get a lot of money for opening up their doors. They get $250 a day um, and they have to have a minimum of 15 students, one worker for every 15 students. So it's not a lot of money. However, it helps them to just reach these families in, in a way 
that sometimes we can't reach them at school. Our schools during that time period when the young man was just trying to find a place to be safe, schools when the closed at the end of the day, say at three o'clock, they couldn't stay at the school because there's no one there to stay with them. So the safe haven program was essential to the to the well-being and safety of that young man. Uh, and then there's countless of stories, Jan, that I even uh, I, that's one that's directly related to the safe haven program. But our office during the pandemic, when we shut down in um, in March of 2020, I shared with my department. I said, "Hey, I want I want the city, I want our school district, I want our communities to know how relevant the Office of Faith Based Initiatives what it is." So we have some friends and partners such as World Vision uh, that helps us to feed families, right? So I reached out to World Vision, didn't know if they would say yay or nay, but I wanted to see if they would be able to assist us uh, with the food insecurities in many of our communities. Because as I mentioned earlier, we have majority of our school district, low income families. So with everything shutting down and we saw where the stores were being looted, there's now this, this heightened shortage of everything. And you have people running to the stores to grab uh, for, I don't know why, Jan, but you know, toilet tissue. Uh, I don't know how did that become an essential item <laughs> during the pandemic. It was crazy then, yes. <laughs> it was absolutely insane. Um, but however, we wanted to um, make sure that we assisted those families during the pandemic. Well, when I reached out to World Vision, World Vision said, well, well, Director Connolly, you are right on time because we were trying to figure out and our donors were trying to figure out how can we directly impact families? Well, I said, here it is. We can get a list of families, get them registered. So that way, when we give out the food during throughout the pandemic, however we choose to do it, you're going to give it Make, you're going to be sure and certain to give it to the needy and not the greedy. Because oftentimes when you see people giving out the food, you don't, you, you see people online, you don't know who they are. There's no relationship. Well, with us, I wanted it to be relational. I wanted us to be able to give out the food, know who we're giving it to, let them know that the school district is for them, let them know that we're, we're, we're here throughout this pandemic. We know that this is a peculiar... Uh, space for all of us. None of us expected it, but we're in it, but we want to make sure that you are uh, taken care of. And so, Jan, during the pandemic, every week from April of 2020 all the way to April 2021, we were giving out 1,000 boxes of food each week. Um, which would feed a family of five and uh, would last them for an entire week. And uh, we, so we would partner with a various faith community. Uh, World Vision would bring the truck of food to the, to the uh, site. We unload the, uh, the truck, put the boxes of food out on the, uh, on the sidewalk, the cars, because we had a list of families registered from, we knew what school they went to, uh, we knew how many students they had in the school system, and they would come by, get the boxes. We put them right in the car. We kept it safe, and we kept it moving at the same time. Oh, that's and wonderful. 
that was that was one of the most joyous moments for me. That is that is wonderful. So tell us about your background and uh, how you got into this position. Um, what attracted you to this? Well, Jan, uh, to be honest, I don't know that I was attracted to it. Uh, I think that I was just called to it. Uh, so I am clergy. Um, I'm born and raised on the south side of Chicago and uh, was called uh, to preach probably since the age of 16 uh, in a very conservative church. Um, but I think it was my time at McCormick Theological Seminary uh, where uh, I was stretched. Um, I didn't want to go to a conservative institution. I wanted to go somewhere where not everyone thought like me or had the same background as me, uh, theologically, uh, sociologically, any of that. And uh, I tell you, I, I would be in class with uh, an atheist. I could be in class with Buddhists. I could be in class uh, with, with my Jewish friends. And that was some of the most enlightening times for me. And it helped me develop a vision for community. Uh, the late Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, used to talk about his philosophy of this, uh, what he called the, the beloved community. And within the beloved community is where you didn't have to want for anything because if it was something that you didn't have, but your neighbor has it, then uh, you had it essentially because that's what the beloved community was all about. And so when I learned about the Office of Faith-Based Initiatives, uh, there was a, a uh, chief, uh, Dr. Johnson, Chief Dr. Johnson, who was over family and community engagement. He reached out to me and said, Alan, I don't know if you know much about the Office of Faith-Based Initiatives. He said, but, uh, you know, you're, you're a product of McCormick Theological Seminary. Uh, you're serving in the church and you're doing a lot of outreach. He said, I think that the Office of Faith-Based Initiatives could benefit from your purview and your approach uh, to doing ministry. And that, those were his words, he called it ministry. And I said, well, how is it ministry is with Chicago Public Schools? He said, Alan, I'm telling you, um, you can make this what it needs to be because it is, it's not what it should be right now. So I thought about it, prayed about it, right? And uh, consulted with some people and they all felt like Alan, it sounds like it was designed for you. I'm an outreach person. I believe in outreach. I believe, uh, so whatever faith you subscribe to, I don't believe it's meant for us to be insular and think that people should run to us. I think that when we have opportunities to go to the people, that's what we ought to do. And so I think the opportunity, uh, knowing that um, Chicago Public Schools is in our communities, in, in urban communities, and it's where people need help the most. Uh, I felt like if I brought my purview to this position, then I can bring some of the things that I was doing uh, in the church to it. And so the outreach piece that I spoke about during the pandemic, those were things that I was doing uh, in my church where uh, every uh, third Saturday of the month, uh, we would go out in the community, we had bags of groceries, and uh, people can come by, get a bag of groceries. We would get their names uh, to get their information so we can stay in touch with them and cultivate relationships uh, in, in the future. Um, but I think that's what attracted me to it the most, Jan. And uh, knowing that down through the years that people, uh, especially since 9-11, uh, 
uh, our Islamic friends, many of them had to undergo uh, so much religious hate. Um, and then now with the anti-Semitic uh, rhetoric that we're starting to hear more and more today, uh, I think that um, we need to have more people that are faith conscious uh, and also community conscious that understands that um, we, we have to celebrate all of us uh, because if we if we don't celebrate all of us, uh, then we're essentially being disrespectful to all of us. We are called to love our neighbor in mm -hmm. every faith tradition. <laughs> yes. yes. Um, so you have you've touched on this a little bit, but um, uh, talk a little bit more about how either individuals or faith communities could get involved or support the work that you're doing. Yes, um, I'm glad you're giving me this opportunity to share this because as we share, shared earlier, not too many people know that there's an Office of Faith-Based Initiatives. Uh, I did omit to share that there's two other initiatives, specific initiatives that I ran out of our office. Uh, one is called Adopt-A-School. Adopt-A-School is where the faith community can adopt a school in their community uh, that's congruent to where they serve. Uh, we give them a survey. And that survey allows us to learn what their capacity is, because uh, you know if you if you if you have faith uh, in in my faith tradition, uh, we'll quote uh, an ancient text where it says that you know if you if you if you're faithful over a few things, you'll be accountable over a whole lot more. Well, uh, in this case, if you're faithful over uh, a few. Uh, you may get a whole lot more requests, uh, but you may not get a whole lot of a lot of uh, monetary support uh, to do what you do. Uh, so the Adopt a School initiative is where you're not compensated for the work that you do, such as the Safe Haven program. However, it's not about the, the monetary uh, piece, but it's more so about developing a long-term relationship uh, between the school and that faith community. And so via adopt a school you can do uh, mentorship, uh, you can support by uh, just doing being present for like a science project, science fair, teacher appreciation week, those things go a long way and there's a, a plethora of things that uh, many of our uh, uh, adopt school partners do. Uh, we have one partner during the pandemic who supported uh, a school called Doolittle Elementary School. Um, because the pandemic revealed that there's a digital divide uh, that, that was in our communities. And so this particular church wanted to make sure that the young people had laptops. So they worked with another nonprofit organization and via the adopt the school partnership, they were able to supply uh, young people with laptops during the pandemic. And they did not have to turn those laptops in. The laptops that we give them, you know, they don't belong to them. They belong to the school, but they were able to get their own personal laptops. And so uh, that's some of what takes place via adopt a school. Uh, the last initiative is called crisis support. Crisis support is the one I'm not thrilled about, but whenever a young person passes away, whether it's yeah. uh, natural causes or um, violent cause, uh, we reach out to those families, we offer condolences, um, but we also assist them with the barrier expenses. Mm -hmm. So why am I sharing this? Well, if there are those uh, listening, viewing, who are looking to see how they can support, well, if you want to be a part of the adopt a school piece, 
all you have to do is just let us know and we will look and see if there's a school nearby. Uh, we give them a survey as well so we can see what their needs are and uh, see if that's a good match and see if there's a maximum of three projects that you can work on. When it comes to crisis support, um, many of our schools, when they're looking to navigate uh, a crisis, and the crisis could be just a young person, a student at that school who passed away tragically. And because these are young people, they don't see that young person in that classroom anymore. And so they're wondering, you know, what's going to happen to them? They're just, they're, they're in need of peace and healing. So that faith community being able to join us and meet us at that school to be present, um, not to proselytize, not to impose our faith upon them, but just to be there. Now, if someone asks for prayer, by all means, you can do so. Uh, that is permitted according to the U.S. Department of Education, uh, or if a young person wants to pray themselves, we have to give them that space. That's the religious accommodation uh, that is given to them. Um, but I tell you, having that faith community there to be present, it goes a long way for them to see that, you know what, I see that church or that synagogue all the time when I go past there, when I go get my Starbucks in the morning, I've never been in there. But I saw them at the school and they were present at a time when we needed people to be there for us the most. So if anyone wants to be a part and wants to support a school in their community, uh, the Office of Faith Base is here and we are willing and uh, more than willing uh, to work with them to make sure that they're, con they're connected. That's great. Is there anything else that you'd like to add that we haven't covered? Well, I don't, I don't know. You know, um, you know, I'm just thrilled that I have this opportunity um, because I think the challenge, Jan, for people when it comes to faith and um, and and government is like, well, the, the two don't mix. And I think that what we saw during the pandemic uh, is that even though the faith community was not on the government's essential list, because that was the whole thing about there being this essential list, essential workers, essential this. Well, we found out that even though the faith community was not on the government's essential list, that they were still on the community's essential list. And so I encourage the faith community that you, you may not be on the government's essential list, but the last thing you want to do is not be on your community's essential list. And if you want to be essential to your community, one of the best ways to do it is to connect to that local school. I guarantee you, you'll be more essential than you think. That is great. Well, thank you very much, Alan Conley, for telling us about your work as the Director of Faith-Based Initiatives in the Chicago Public Schools. Yes, thank you so much for having me, Jan, and thank you for all that you're doing and communicating the good news uh, to uh, the people in this great city of Chicago and abroad. I'm Jan Engmeyer. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Temple Forum. You've been listening to the Temple Forum from First United Methodist Church in Chicago. You can find more conversations like this online at chicagotemple.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Please join us again soon.